Lord's Day 16, page 530 in your book of praise. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Why is there added, he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, did you hear the words that we just read as we read the, the confession in Lord's Day 16? Did you hear how much death there was in this Lord's Day? Let me just read some of the words that come back time and time again. Death, death, died, died, die, death, 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 death. Nine times I think it is. And then there's all the words about sin and suffering and burial, the grave, hell. Why? Why did we get together on a Sunday afternoon to listen to this? We have two sweet little babies here on the front row. And the church is talking about death. Why so negative? Why all the focus on death? Why not life? Why can't we celebrate life? Brothers and sisters, when a jeweler wants to show off the most beautiful diamond, you'll put it against a background or in front of a background of black velvet. When a people celebrates a great victory, then you cannot celebrate a great victory over a powerful and wicked enemy without mentioning the power and the enemy from which you have been freed and the great cost that was paid to purchase that freedom. And that is the pattern of heavenly worship. We see in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, where all of heaven bursts out into praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy. Why? 
Well, they have a reason for their praise. Worthy is the Lamb, for you were slain. You died. And by your blood, you have purchased for yourself a people. Revelation 5, 9, and then you see it a little bit later in, in verse 12. You've ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. And look at verse 12 again. Worthy is the lamb. Which lamb? The one who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So that's the pattern of heavenly worship. We know why we are praising. We know what we are celebrating and what we are praising the Lamb for, what we are praising the Lord Jesus Christ for, what we are celebrating about the Lord Jesus Christ is that He died and that His death changed everything. Now look at the the catechism and see the first word. Why? And that's, a, that's an awesome question. We need to ask lots of questions. And children, if you ask questions, that's wonderful. Ask, ask your parents questions. Why? How? What? Ask the questions. Don't just accept what your parents say about the world and about God, but try to understand it. And if you don't, ask the questions. Why? And that's what the catechism does. Why? Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? There were a whole bunch of why questions in our Lord's day. And it's good for us to think through them. There's even a what question. And basically we can summarize this Lord's day in terms of three deaths. There is the death of Christ that we consider. There is the consequences of the death of Christ and two other deaths, the death of death and the death of our old nature. So those are the three things we're going to look at as we look at Lord's Day 16. The death of Christ and as a consequence, the death of death and the death of our old nature. And so what does the Catechism explain? Why? Why did the Lord Jesus Christ have to die? Because of the justice and truth of God. The justice and truth of God demanded it. That satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Now there are a bunch of aspects here we need to consider about death. Death, looking at it from one angle, is a built-in consequence of sin. Sin is turning your back on God. And God is life. And if you turn your back on life, then you choose death. So sin has built-in destruction. It's like being in a space station and you open the door. You don't need the commander of the space station to penalize you for your act because you die as a result of your foolishness. As the air, the oxygen escapes into space and you suffocate. That's what sin is like. The consequence is death. It's built in. 
And the more you choose sin, the more you love sin, the more you hold on to sin, the more you walk away from God, the more you experience the horror of death. God is life. Running away from God is not life. It is death. So that's just built right into sin. That's that's how sin works. But there's also an aspect of God's justice, his just judgment. What did God say to Adam and Eve? He said, in the day that you eat of this tree or this fruit, you will surely die. God is true. He keeps his word. God is just. He judges sin. Why does he do that? Because he is love. He judges sin justly because he is love. Therefore, his anger burns against sin. Just like the anger of a father who sees his little daughter being attacked by a rabid dog, the father will kill the dog to protect his little daughter. Sin has to be destroyed. Because it is attacking God and his good creation. And God is just. And God is true. And God keeps his word. And God keeps his promises. His promises of life and blessing. And his promise of curse. What does the scripture say? Ezekiel twelve twenty five. For I am the Lord. I will speak the word that I will speak. And it will be performed. When God says, you sin, you die, he means it, and he follows up. He's not like our earthly parents that sometimes say, well, you did this, you're losing screen time for two days, and then the next day, dad forgets. God doesn't forget. If he says it, it happens. He is just, and he is true. And in the justice and truth of God, there is only one way to deal with sin and with sinners, and that is to banish them into the outer darkness, to be under the eternal just judgment of God. That's the payment that is outstanding. That is the bill which comes to us. That is our bill that we need to pay as sinners. And then Jesus comes and he says to his beloved children, stand aside, I will pay the price. The Son of God comes to you, holy church of the Lord Jesus, and the Son of God says, stand aside, you're not going to pay, I'm going to pay. Now how could he do that? How can the Son of God pay the price of eternal death? How can he make satisfaction? Well, we know by becoming a human so that he could suffer all his life, culminating in the bloody and violent and cruel death on the cross. Jesus did not not die peacefully like a very elderly Grandpa at 99 years old, peacefully in his bed, surrounded by his loved ones. But Jesus died a violent death, a solitary death. 
He died separated from all he loved, from the love of his beloved eternal father. He died rejected. He died abandoned. He died in the anguish and torture of hellish agony. The father hid his face from him. The curse of sin was placed on him. His soul and his body were violently torn one from the other. And he was put into the ground because he was dead. And that dead body placed in the ground was the fulfillment of the righteous judgment of God on sin. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Putting of the dead body of a human being back into the ground as an act of uncreation, undoing what happened to our first father, Adam, when he was taken from the ground and given life. That is the horror of sin and death. And in all of this that Jesus did to pay for your sin and my sin, There was the unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony of hell. What is life? Life is to know God, to be in communion with God, to be in the presence of God, to be loved by God. And death and hell are the opposite. And our sins deserve death and hell. But Jesus made satisfaction. He paid the bill. He erased the debt because that's what it took. The death of the Son of God. Have you stopped to think about that, lady? Have have we stopped to think about that enough? That to get rid of my sin, the Son of God God had to die. He who is life had to die. What does the Bible say? Paul says it to the, to the elders in Acts chapter 20. He says, you, you need to take care of the, the church, which God bought with his own blood. The blood of God. How's that possible? Children, you know that God doesn't have blood. He's spirit. How does he have blood? But he became a man. The Son of God became a man. So he would have blood that could flow from his body and could wash away your sins and my sins. But that's what it took. The death of the Son of God. The smallest sin that you committed today on this Lord's Day in order to be forgiven, required the death of the Son of God. That's what it costs. That's what Jesus paid. So why do we keep on sinning? Jesus paid so much. So why do we keep on sinning. Now, sometimes we can think, well, that's what Jesus does. It's his job. He just suffered on the cross. He paid for my sins. And, oh, nobody's perfect. And I sin now and again. But God's got it all figured out with Jesus. That's not how it works. God sees all of history. 
He is outside of time. God does not have past, present, and future. God is. And so as God looks at the history of this world, as God looks at your entire life from its beginning to its end, God sees every sin of yours. And on the cross at Golgotha, every sin of yours and mine was piled on Jesus. Every angry and hurtful word, every unholy thought, every lustful look, every shameful lie, every broken trust, every greedy and selfish attitude drove the nail into his hand, pressed down the bloody thorns onto his innocent head, and covered him in our shame and guilt and vileness. When we sin, brother and sister, when we sin, it's as if we're driving a nail into our Savior. And if we truly believe the gospel, and if we truly love the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done for us, then believe a child of God, we need to cultivate a holy hatred of sin. Because to love sin is to hate Jesus. But the gospel says, you need to hate sin. You need to love Christ. You know, that's where, that's where the discipline of the church kicks in. The church doesn't have discipline because some people aren't matching up to the standards of all the other good people in the church. Because there are no good people in the church. We're all fallen sinners. We all need the grace and the washing and the blood of Christ every day. But church discipline isn't because some people don't meet up to the standards of the rest. Church discipline is when there are those in the congregation of the Lord Jesus who've got things back to front. They're loving sin. They're holding on to sin. They're living in sin. They don't want to let go of sin. They don't want to fight sin. And what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says that's bad. That's dangerous. That's wicked. That's blasphemy. Because those who love sin and continue to live in sin have trampled underfoot the Son of God. They're stomping on Jesus. They've trampled underfoot the Son of God. They've profaned the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified. And they have outraged the Spirit of grace. The Spirit of grace is so sweet and loving and good and gentle and life-giving. You don't want to see the Spirit of God enraged or outraged. That's the cost, brothers and sisters, for dealing with our sin. The bloody, painful, hellish agony of the death of the Son of God. And if we understand even just a little bit of what it took then we will pray, O oh Holy Spirit, give me a holy hatred for sin. But besides the holy hatred, there's also a great joy, isn't there? Because the bill's being paid. There's nothing outstanding. Jesus has dealt with it all. He's made satisfaction. 
We are pure, we're innocent in the sight of a holy God. And so the next question, we've already dealt with uh, question answer 41 in passing, so the next question we will look at is, is question answer 42. Well, if Christ has died for us, then why do we still have to die? If the pain's been made, why do we have to die as well? That's a good question. And it all hinges on the fact that death becomes different to us if we are in Christ. Without Jesus, outside of Christ, the wages of sin is death. That's how it works. You sin, and you sin, and you earn, and you earn, and you can't say no to the paycheck. You get what you earn. You get what you deserve. You get your due, and that is death. That's what sin gives you. But when you're in Christ, things change. Because when you're in Christ, then death has died. We read that in Hebrews chapter 2, 14. He, through death, destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. When we're in Jesus Christ our relationship to death is radically different because death no longer hangs over us as a penalty, as a punishment, as a horror, as a terror. Death has lost its sting, says the apostle. Can't hurt us anymore the way it used to be able to when we didn't know the gospel. Many, many years ago, I was a young man and I heard Reverend Slump preaching And he used this remarkable example of a father and a son in a car. And the son was allergic to bee stings, and there was a bee buzzing around in the car, and the son was frightened because he didn't want to be stung by the bee and have a a reaction, perhaps die. The father grabbed the bee out of the air, and, and it stung the hand of the father. The stinger was out. And now the bee didn't represent any threat. It was still unpleasant and a little bit scary for the little boy, but it could no longer hurt him the way it could before. And that's what Jesus has done with death. He's taking the sting out of it. You see, outside of Christ, outside of the Lord Jesus, death is just one more step deeper and lower into the eternal horror of the judgment of God. Eternal suffering away from God. It is a portal into eternal darkness and the torments of hell where God will only be known and present in his righteous anger and wrath. That's what death is for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are listening and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that is what awaits you unless you turn and repent and find life in him. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then death is a step up. It is freedom from sin. It is promotion to glory. It is a doorway into the presence of the Savior. It's a radical change, isn't it? That Jesus has affected by his death and by his satisfaction. But even though death has lost its sting, doesn't mean to say we celebrate it, doesn't mean to say we look for it. 
doesn't mean to say we're excited to die because it's still against the way God made things to be. It's still not natural. We were made to live and we were made to live forever. Death is described by the scriptures as the last enemy. It will be destroyed. But its power has already been broken. Believer, it can't hold on to you just like it couldn't hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ because death can only hold on to the victims that are rightfully his. Death can only hold on to sinners. Jesus Christ, innocent and without sin, he just woke up on resurrection morning and he walked right out of the grave and death didn't have anything to say about that. Couldn't hold on to him. And in the same way, believer, you and Christ are sinless and the devil and the grave have no claim on you. And so when a loved one dies, yes, we mourn but not as those who have no hope. Christians have a different relationship to death than those who are outside of Christ. That's why historically Christians have tried their very best, if it's possible, to bury their dead in the ground, to sow the body into the ground like seed in the sure hope of life bursting forth at the resurrection. Christians do everything they can to bury their dead. Child of God, the Son of God died. And by his death, he killed death. Death is dead to us. That's why the Bible often speaks about death for believers as falling asleep, because when you fall asleep, then you expect that the next thing you've got to do is wake up later on. It's no longer an end, but it is a step towards the new beginning. And that's why, brothers and sisters, you can't say rest in peace about anyone unless they know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes I see believers and a well-known unbeliever dies, and the believer comments on social media, R.I.P., rest in peace. That's denying everything we confess about life and death and sin and the coming of Christ and the cross and the resurrection and the future glory. It's denying the entire creed. There is no rest for the wicked, says the Lord. There is no peace no matter how many cards we send or no matter how many letters we type, there is no peace unless you know the Lord Jesus Christ, unless you confess him as your Lord and your Savior. So instead of writing RIP about people that die outside of Christ, we need to be getting up and going out and speaking the gospel into these people's lives before they die. So that when they do die, they may die as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And they may fall asleep in Jesus and rest truly in peace. And what does all this mean then in terms of our relationship to, to death and, and what leads up to death? Sickness and disease and aging and the breaking down of our bodies and our minds. Broken relationships, pain, catastrophes, accidents, loss, suffering. All the hurts in this world, all the, the torments that the sinful and broken world brings upon us. Well, the gospel says to you, child of God, is that these things that we suffer now are not punishment. 
Death is not a punishment for you. Pain and sickness are not punishments. God is not angry with you. He can't be angry with you because Jesus has made satisfaction. God does not reject you. He cannot because Jesus has drunk the cup of God's wrath to the very last drop. There's nothing left for you. There's no anger left. There's no wrath left. None. All that's left for you is the overflowing cup of the eternal love of God towards you in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what's there for you. And it's overflowing. So we've considered the death of Christ and the consequence being the death of death. And then finally, we'll look at the consequence of the death of the Son of God for the death of our old nature. And that's especially question answer 43 we're looking at now. Now, this is a glorious truth, that our old nature died on the cross. You know, our old nature used to be our only nature. We were oppressed. We were subject and enslaved to it. We were under the power of sin and that old, nasty, in-Adam nature. God took and he nailed it to the cross. And Jesus was made the very incarnation of sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Well, it means this, child of God. You are free. You don't have to sin anymore. Sin is no longer your master. You can say no to sin. That's what it means to be united to Christ in baptism. It means we share in everything he is and everything he has done. Our old nature, Romans 6 talks about this, our old nature is crucified and put to death and buried with him. Because we're united to Christ by true faith. And baptism tells us that. And see the sovereign grace of God went to our newest two little sisters before they even understand anything about sin. God is already saying, here is the water of baptism. You are in Christ. And all these glorious promises of forgiveness and life and freedom from the power of sin and death, are yours, little Wren and little Lennon. And every one of us who is in Christ carries that mark and that promise on their forehead. We're free from the power of sin. Our old nature was nailed to the cross, says the apostle. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's what Paul says to the Romans. That means that a Christian can never say, well, that's just the way I am. You're grumpy and you're angry all the time. Well, that's just the way I am. When a a Christian says that's just the way I am to justify their sin, they're denying the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're denying the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're denying the efficacy of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You never say that as a Christian. That's just the way I am to justify your sin and your wickedness. Never. Because the way I am has been put to death. The old you has been crucified and the new you has been set free because Christ died and death has died and your old nature has died. That's what the gospel says. So beloved, this is a call to believe. This is for believers. This calls for faith. God calls every one of us to hold on to these truths with a heart of faith. And he calls the parents of our little sisters, Lennon and Wren, to bring them up in the fear of the Lord and to teach them the scriptures and to call them to, to embrace the promises by faith. Embrace who you are in Christ. Embrace the gospel. Embrace the freedom. Embrace newness of life. These promises are sealed to us in our baptism along with the call to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to love Jesus. And so we can live. Because of all this talk about death, we can celebrate life. Because we're not afraid of death. We're not in terror of the grave. We're not scared even of the worst virus and the worst pandemic. We'll take the proper precautions. We'll respect life. But we're not terrified. We're not terrified of accidents or of bad things happening. Because we're not slaves of sin. And we know that we are not earning the wages of death. I have been set free by the death of the Son of God. I am free to live. I am free to revel in the love of God. I am free to give myself everything I am, everything I have, to the one overarching goal of my life, which is the one overarching goal of the whole universe. And that is to thank and love and praise and glorify and enjoy God forever and ever. Amen.